up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It's uh, episode 187. It's Wednesday, May 10th, and it's a brand new day on the pod. Uh, our man Josh has taken his talents to, you know, whatever, South Beach or somewhere. Uh, we're, we're looking for him, but uh, yeah, it's a two-man pod from this point forward. Uh, until further notice, I guess, uh, we're switching things up a little. Today, you're getting Ryan Chapman and more. Hi, What's Ryan. up, friends? I'm John How are we? I'm in Tulsa, and uh, and guess what? Yeah, we're going to have a few other changes coming at you in the coming weeks, days, months here at All Sooners. But for now, Ryan, man, this is like old school WWF wrestling on TBS. A couple of tag team partners working hard on the circuit. We're grinding. We're doing the shows. I'm Hacksaw Jim Duggan because he touches my heart because he's kind of a gritty, grindy everyman. Uh, I'm going to be tagging out too. Uh, That's a great question. Um Man, I, I miss the territory day. So if we step in a little bit further, uh, I prefer to think of us as the like edge and Christian because we totally have awesomeness. Clearly, like everyone knows this. Well, so we're performing at state fairs and stuff like that now. Yes, yes, we, <laughs> we we've de- we've kind of left the territory days, but we we are still very much on the circuit, trying to just make it, make very it, uh, make it main eventers. Like I said, more changes coming down the pike uh, in the coming days, weeks, and months. We'll announce those when the time is appropriate. Uh, but for right now, we're going to start today's show with uh, where else? It's um, it's win total season. It's Vegas season here on uh, the All Sooners podcast. Uh, DraftKings came out today, right like today, like just before the show uh, is when I saw this. I don't know when it posted, but I saw it just before the show, and I was like, hey. That would be a perfect lead-in for the show. Win totals. And contrary to what Urban Meyer thinks, Oklahoma and Texas, win totals-wise, they're about even. Nine and a half is the win totals, according to DraftKings, by both Texas and Oklahoma. Urban Meyer thinks there's no reason to think, or what did he say? He said it would be hard to say that Texas doesn't have the best roster in the Big 12. I'm here to tell you, that's not hard to say. Texas doesn't have the best roster in the Big 12. Uh, we'll talk about it again in December, and I will show you exactly the proof I'm talking about. But for right now, I'm f- feeling comfortable. Texas does not have the best roster in the Big 12, Ryan. Uh, he said the best roster in the country. So that was... Uh, Did he say country? Yeah. God. <laughs> I did. Uh, I forgot about that. I, I feel bad for, Ugh. in that instance, Steve Sarkeesian and, like, Texas fans. Because, like, that Texas fans are not the ones that are, like, we are winning a national championship this year. Urban Meyer is saying that. And then now, when they don't, it'll be like, look. And it's like, no, no, no. This is what Urban Meyer said. This is not what any sane person. But, yeah, a little bit of a sticker shock uh, for me, frankly, to have Texas and Oklahoma pacing things at nine and a half. You ask us two, three years ago, this makes all the sense in the world. You have one team that has shown you they can win, and the other team that's got the roster, that's the hype. That was Oklahoma, the one winning, what, six straight Big 12 championships, and Texas constantly having the hype. Well, now you've got Texas that has steadily built in a couple seasons under Steve Sarkeesian. Makes all the sense in the world that they should take the next step and be in Arlington. But for Oklahoma, coming off a six and seven season, I was expecting a high win total. We've talked a lot about the the schedule, right? That if you just take three losses and replace it with three group of five rosters in, in Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF, you expect a lot of improvement. Yep. I would imagine that was kind of like the operating principle of they won six games last year. 
make that switch. You assume those are three wins. That's nine. Vegas doesn't want to put it at a level number so they can push. So put it to nine and a half. I can see that reasoning, but John, it just feels like this Oklahoma team to improve by four games or more. There's got to be a ton of improvements across the board. And it's not just as simple as, Hey, they have better defensive ends in the transfer portal. Hey, they have more talented, but younger secondary members. Yeah. I had honestly, I think I had for, uh, I remember thinking that when I heard that, that uh, urban Meyer comment last week, I remember thinking, that's got to go on the podcast next week. And for some reason, I forced that preposterousness out of my brain thinking <laughs> that he had said it about the Big 12. But no, he said it about the nation. Uh, yeah, it's not hard. I, I, I stand by what I said. I don't think they have the best roster in the Big 12. They might have the best offensive line. They might have the best um, wide receivers for sure. But uh, yeah, come on. They're not the best roster in the Big 12. They may win the Big 12. I'm not saying that they're they're not. But uh Nine and a half is the total. Um, you taking the over on that one or the under? Uh, I would go under. I think I was talking to you and our dearly departed uh, friend Josh coming out of the spring game. And I, it was just the typical like, okay, based off what we saw, it's one practice, all the things. But based off what we saw, I would pick this team to win eight games next year. Yeah. And, and just looking at it. Uh, for me, you're losing your top wide receiver in Marvin Mims. There's no sure thing in the wide receiver room. You're losing your top tight end, Braden Willis, who had a more productive year last year than Austin Stogner has ever had, just as far as catches, yards, touchdowns. And that was including healthier Stogner, not this newer right. version of Austin Stogner. Um, replacing Eric Gray. I think the talent in the running back room is really good. I, I think it'll be different with Barnes and Sachuk. That's the one I'm least worried about on those three fronts. Dylan Gabriel, the the good is still there, but the warts of Dylan Gabriel of just moments of inaccuracy, that for me was, okay, I'm not expecting much different. Like I'm just expecting steady, not elite quarterback play. Have to replace two tackles, and I thought that the two weakest links of last year's offensive line are the two returning pieces. So that isn't like a gold star for me. You flip over to the defense, I think we're all really excited about what the defense brought to the table. But like with Jaden Davis leaving, Demon Harmon leaving, the the mindset, and I think it's right that you're going to have more talented guys. That's why those guys are leaving. But it also means that those more talented guys are in year one in this defense. And we saw what was the first touchdown in the spring game? A coverage bust. What was the second touchdown in the spring game? A coverage bust. This is supposed to be the most vanilla offense and the most vanilla defense. And you still had coverage bust. So I I think the defense is going to be better. I think there are going to be huge moments of upside. I just still think there are going to be mental mistakes, which come along with a lot of guys being that defense for the first time. And that is the difference between being like a 10-11 win team and winning eight or nine games, which is you've got to be either the best unit in the country on one side of the ball, like the Lincoln-Riley method. I don't think anyone thinks the OU offense is going to be a Lincoln-Riley offense. So the defense has to be very, very steady. I think they'll be better, which is why they'll win more games. I just think there will be moments where there are busts, things like that, that might cost Oklahoma games. That's before we even get into the game management issues I right. had with both Brent Venables and Jeff Levy last year. 100%. That's a great point. Uh, Texas over-under is uh, – win total, I should say, is also 9.5. You're taking the uh, under on that one, I guess? Yeah, I think it'll be a uh, – I would have Texas and K-State in the Big 12 championship game, and I feel like that's two 9-win teams. Maybe K-State is a 10-win team headed to Arlington. Okay. 
Uh, I think what this DraftKings, now keep in mind, this is put out by essentially a betting house. Uh, they want to get action on both sides. They want people to bet, oh, that's too high, that's too low. So there's no, every year for since I've been, you know, gee, since Stoops and Lincoln Riley, you know, were in there years ago, going on a, almost a decade ago now, uh, you've had a big 12 team that is at 11, 11 wins projected to a 10 wins, 10 and a half wins, something like that. What this tells me here, I'm looking at this list. What this tells me is there's an expectation that the big 12 is going to be fairly mediocre. You've got your defending big 12 champ, Kansas state, who's mostly rebuilt. They go, they got to bring their whole offensive line back, but they're mostly rebuilt in a lot of areas. Um, eight and a half wins for K state. And then you've got Texas Tech. I didn't say TCU. I said Texas Tech at seven and a half. TCU is also at seven and a half. Baylor is also at seven and a half. Uh, Central Florida, newcomer from the American, is at six and a half, along with Kansas, Oklahoma State, all at six and a half. This tells me that the expectation is there's going to be a lot of mediocre football this year in the Big 12. Yeah, and... I think that's what the expectation is, because if you look at last year, so I'm just motoring down last year's conference record, right? Um, TCU finished 9-0 and in the regular season, K-State 7-2. and Then you dip down to Texas 6-3. and Then it was, this is why Oklahoma was able to make it to the Cheez-It Bowl, because you, yeah. like, a lot of, from that 5-4 and four to 3-6 and six included everybody but Iowa State. You had the overall records. Uh, after you got TCU and K State, it was Texas and Tech at eight and five, Oklahoma State at seven and six, six and seven, six and seven, six and seven. That's yep. case uh, Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma. Like if, if you didn't have TCU rise up and, and put it all together to go to a college football playoff, what the win totals are showing us right now on paper is what the Big Twelve would have been last year, which is Kansas State pretty good on the high end, but not playoff good. Texas having moments, TCU, they were playoff good. They were national championship appearance good, right? Because we saw that. But everybody else, it was just kind of like, I don't know. On any given Saturday in the Big 12, Texas Tech can beat Oklahoma. Oh, they can turn around and Kansas can light it. Like, it, it was just a, it was a very fun conference because you didn't know what to do other than uh, Iowa State wasn't going to score. That was like the known quantity of the Big 12 last year. That's a great call. Um the rest of the uh, the rest of the numbers BYU. I'm doing a radio hit uh, in Provo later on our Salt Lake City later on today, and I I have some questions for them as I'm sure they have some questions for me as they preview you know BYU's uh, schedule, BYU's opponents. So they're going to ask me a lot of Oklahoma questions. I might ask them a BYU question or two. Their win total is projected at five and a half. Iowa State projected at five and a half. West Virginia four and a half. Bob Huggins not coaching that one, I presume. Just yep. that includes the suspended games, I think. They're they're yeah, baked in. They're going to hold him out for that one, right? Yeah. Uh, Houston and Cincinnati also at four and a half. So your three of your four uh, newcomers are uh, under are projected under six wins. Probably not a. Uh, I mean, that's that's not a good look for the Big Twelve. Not a good look. To to bring in to expand, reach out to the group of five, bring them in, and everybody says you're going to suck. Yeah, especially when you consider that Cincinnati is two years removed from being in a college football playoff. And I know Luke Fickle headed to Wisconsin, took a lot of guys. With, like, I get it. I totally get it. But to your point, just the 
face value, sticker shock, branding. I don't know what Brett Yormark is going to do to spin that narrative if Cincinnati is that bad under Satterfield. Houston was – they were supposed to be the group of five darlings last year, fell flat on their face, and Dana Holgerson is already hitting the expectation button in Houston and that stuff like that. So I guess the big hope is that BYU, who has been able to play – a schedule closer to a power five schedules. They have more quality to like, they're kind of used to that. They also yeah. have older players that maybe can, you know, hold up to the wear and tear. If they can have a good year in year one. And I guess you're looking at UCF and, and the, uh, the, the sweater vest and, and the Gus bus, Gus Malzahn coming in and saying, Oh, I've, I've done this uh, power five thing before. We'll just do it with uh, John Rice Plumley. Yeah. I think uh, UCF is the most recent, team or the most recent program to go undefeated in college football in this list. I'm, I'm looking at the list. I don't see anybody else that's been undefeated in the last five years. UCF was undefeated uh, and against an American athletic conference schedule. So we'll see how it plays out. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, they've got Texas and Oklahoma at the top. Again, win total nine and a half. I think Ryan's about right. Nine and a half. Mm, I've been saying Oklahoma could get to 10. I'm not sure about Texas. Um, Texas, both, both teams need better quarterback play, I think, to take that next step. And let's, let's face it with the Sooners. It's all about getting off the field on fourth down. Everybody is, I've seen a lot of prideful tweets and posts on Facebook and stuff. Danny Stutzman was fourth in the country in tackles last year. That's incredible. He led the big 12, 120. There's a problem with that. That number is problematic in that the Sooners didn't get off the field on third downs and fourth downs. And uh, there were other, there were a lot of missed tackles uh, in front of him that uh, could have been made, should have been made. That, and frankly, the depth on the OU linebacker core last year allowed, forced, I should say, Danny Stutzman to have to stay on the field for multiple series that there should have been a backup coming in. There should have been somebody coming in to give him a spell or give him a breather or just a few plays here or there. They couldn't do that. They couldn't afford that. So he was on the field constantly. Danny Stutzman leading the country in tackles, guys, not a good thing. It's good that he's so good. He's athletic enough and smart enough to be able to do that and execute those tackles. That's not what you want. Your de- you want your defensive leader to have about 85 to 90 tackles and get the heck off the field on third and fourth down. Yeah, for sure. Well, might be a little different, though. We've talked about with Jeff Levy, the if you just look at the yards per game, stuff like that, it'll look a lot similar to some of the offenses that Lincoln Riley rolled through, but it's going to be on a lot more plays, less efficient, right, because of the pace, more plays, all that stuff. Maybe with Danny Stutzman, it becomes a thing of Oklahoma starts getting off the field on third down, but the offense is moving so quickly that he still he still has close to 100 tackles just because Jeff Levy refuses to mix speeds whatsoever. Yeah, can't slow down, can't stop, won't stop. Uh, it's just it's, it's a real shame that Texas claimed the all gas no breaks a year before Jeff Levy was in Norman because it feels like that's kind of the perfect thing for the Jeff Levy offense. Yeah, I think the the idea is that you want to go fast and don't need to don't have to don't want to apply breaks sometimes last year texas looked like they didn't have any breaks to apply they were crashing all over the place looked like bumper cars or demolition derby we'll see how it goes can't wait to see the uh, season is going to be uh, upon us before we know it um right now it's it's not only vegas season it's transfer portal season ryan 
And the Sooners picked up a couple of more. I had no, I had no idea that uh, these two guys were in the portal, that they were looking to relocate, that they were flirting with Oklahoma, that they were actually going to commit to and sign with Oklahoma eventually. Connor Neer is a linebacker, and uh, Troy Everett is an offensive lineman. So let's just talk right there, Ryan, the two positions. You know Oklahoma goes into this season, this offseason, this summer, needing more offensive linemen. Um, What they have is not adequate just in terms of numbers and in terms of uh, experience and starters and talent and all big 12 type guys, those guys aren't there right now. Um, So they went out and they signed an offensive lineman, but there's, I think a level of surprise because we just talked about the depth at linebacker, which is, I guess from this spring, we make the assessment that the depth at linebacker is much, much better, but is it? If you're going out and you're landing a guy, Connor Near, a Division II All-American, won two national championships at uh, Ferris State. Won two national championships at Ferris State. First team All-American. But he's Division II. How satisfied are you if you're, if you're Brent Venables to have to go out with your linebackers, to have to go out and sign a Division II linebacker? Yeah, I, I think he's pleased for this reason. Uh, if you remember back to the February media day where we got to you know meet everybody and, and all the new faces, uh, part of the Brent Venables press conference portion of that, I think it was Jenny Carlson who asked him, linebacker depth, how do you feel? And Brent Venables, it, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, I feel great if we have zero injuries. It it was the, I feel great about what you have right now unless someone gets banged up or something like that. Now, coming through the spring, doesn't sound like there was one of those injuries banged up or anything, but if you remember last year, uh, a guy that kind of fell to the background because he got hurt in fall camp, I just wonder how much different that linebacker rotation looked like with TD Roof because it was clear that Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis came in and the coaching staff made the evaluation, we want those guys to redshirt, and we don't want to burn a red shirt just because we need more rotation. Like that, that doesn't seem great for their careers. We'd rather just bite the bullet this year and have a short rotation in the linebacker court. That's what it looked like to me. I wonder how much of this is they wanted one more body that way when Samuel Omosigo and Lewis Carter come in. If the evaluation is made, we would love for these guys to red shirt. That means that. Even if we never see Connor near play, if somebody goes down, you've got a guy that's played college football, a guy that you think can can step in. You're not worried about what their redshirt situation is and just have a number there. That way you can continue to make sure that you redshirt the guys you need to redshirt and still have some sort of depth, some sort of rotation. Even if it's as simple as he comes in and plays one drive for a uh, Stutzman, Lewis, McKenzie, can in anybody. I, that's kind of what I was uh, thinking when that came up because that those February quotes from Brett Venables immediately popped into my head. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, six foot two, uh, listed, I should say. Let's go back and talk about the roster um, accuracy of some of these schools. Ferris State lists him at six foot two, two hundred thirty six pounds. Who knows what he actually is? Uh, that may be accurate. Maybe it's not. Uh, two-time national champ. They've they've gone like twelve and one, fourteen and one over the past couple of years. He he led them in tackles. I think last year, like I said earlier, it had something like eighty-seven tackles, eighty-five tackles. I can't remember. Uh, but he's from Michigan originally, and he's from St. John's, Michigan. His offer list. Okay, jumped in the portal on April twentieth, and his offer list before he committed to Oklahoma on April 29th included Georgia Tech, Duke. Michigan State, Cincinnati, Texas Tech, 
and OU. So a lot of people wanted him. You know, he put his name in the portal and uh, I think he had, oh, 15 games last year. Last year, he had 66 tackles, three quarterback sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. So a guy who's active and all over the field. Um, have you had a chance to look over uh, Troy Everett, offensive lineman, 6'3", 285? He's transferring in, kind of following the uh, the TD Roof uh, path, transferring in from Appalachian State. Uh, he committed to Oklahoma. He's an offensive lineman, 6'3", 285, not an overpowering, uh, imposing, shadow-casting kind of, you know, steps on the field and you're like, dear God, don't get in his way kind of guy. But um, probably more of a technician, played at Appalachian State, was a uh, was a starter there, uh, made freshman All-American. He's got some credentials to him. Uh, how do you think he slots? Is, it, is this going to be a depth, a last post-spring, you know, kind of after-spring um, signing or commitment that uh, just comes in and lends some depth to the offensive line? Yeah, I think initially that that's probably my expectation just because he missed the spring, so playbook, getting up to speed on all of that. But yeah. I think it was key whether he's able to come in and push McCade Matower, whether he's able to come in and push Andrew Raymond Center, where Ray might slot over there. Like I don't see that happening because you, you would be losing two years of Andrew Raymond Center, um, the the mental capacity to at Oklahoma. But I think that just the debt, even if he is just a debt piece, that's incredibly important because you look back to the spring game we know why was it this format offense versus defense Brent Venable said they didn't have enough healthy offensive linemen okay but let's just say you get Walter Rouse back okay let's let's say his labrum's not torn all that stuff then you had your starting offensive line just because you had one guy healthy Caden Green bouncing to the twos at tackle that doesn't help your depth on the interior the interior was still a tire fire right and and so I think that that's where it becomes really important that you're shoring that up and that you're bringing in actual competition as opposed to congrats, Savion Bird, Andrew Ray, McKay, Mattire. You're the starters because there's no one else behind you that has the really the capacity to push you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's he, he's probably going to be a Troy Everett, probably going to be a depth guy um, because, like you said, you don't bring in a, a 6'3", 285-pound dude from Appalachian State to replace a two, two-year starter, three-year starter in Andrew Raym. What got me was, uh, is he going to play right guard where Savion Bird has been kind of projected? Is, or is Matower switching to right and, uh, and Savion Bird at left? Is he going to replace one of those two dudes? Because Savion's that next talent, that next kind of, oh, he could, be, he could be that Bill Biedenboe guy to go off into the NFL and, and have a great career. Okay, if, not if he gets replaced by someone from Appalachian State, right? That's, that's going to be problematic for his career. I think it's strictly a depth guy. I think it's more numbers. I think he's going to play where needed, when needed. He's going to help out a lot of practice. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. Hey, it's not only uh, transfer portal season and uh, Vegas season. It's also watch list season. It's all Sooners list season. You guys know that we love our lists at all Sooners. And of course, it's always realignment season. We'll talk about all that stuff, uh, and we'll get to some other sports in the final segment. All that's next, coming up on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey guys, John Hoover for Trade Pros. Listen, they got something special going on at Trade Pros. It's the All-Star Service Agreement. Sign up now for just 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros will come out twice a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get up to two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is less than $500. And if it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% 
of the Trade Pros price. It's the All-Star Service Program. Some conditions apply, so give the guys at Trade Pros a call, 405-639-9991, or hit them up on the website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, uh, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. Uh, I'm at John E. Hoover, and Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Our website, of course, is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And one thing you do not need at All Sooners is an account. Uh, No memberships, no usernames, no passwords, no credit cards. You know why? Because All Sooners is all free. There is an option to sign up to get exclusive Sports Illustrated content that gives you additional access to the entire Fan Nation network. And some sites do have exclusive uh, premium content, uh, but we have more than 100 sites. You get access to all those. But all Sooners, guys, is free. So uh, a lot of movement going on, a lot of moving and shaking, a lot of things happening. All Sooners remains all free. Uh, Segment two, um, it's watch list season. What? It's made. The calendar... Let's see. There, it's a month on the calendar, Ryan. So the calendar must mean it's uh, watch list season because watch lists are feel like they're twelve months out of the year. Uh, OU has a player on the first watch list, the Ronnie Lott Impact Award, which is you know uh, leadership and accountability and trust and all those kind of factors that go into being an excellent football player that nobody can really quantify. Danny Stutzman is on the Ronnie Lott Trophy Award watch list for basically Defensive Player of the Year with character. Yeah, and it makes sense. He's going to be the face of this defense, and and I think he might be the face of this team. Like the way that um, Oklahoma has positioned on social media where it feels like every week, every other week, you get some sort of Danny Stutzman exclusive content. Last uh, This week it was Danny Stutzman the barber going through and, and making sure that Jaron Kanick, uh, Jay Nunez, and I forget who the other person was that, that he was cutting their hair. But we, we know that Danny does a lot of stuff off the field, right? And, and then to be the, the face, the centerpiece of that defense, all those stats we talked about earlier, uh, while it's not what you would ideally want because you'd want that to be he's such a predator, he's making those tackles himself as opposed to he's the only one of the three linebackers on the yeah. field and your line's not doing anything. But – those do lend themselves into giving you a high expectations and a high ceiling when it comes to watch list season. I'm not one of those dudes that's like in love with my hair. Like obviously, right. (laughs) We're a positive podcast. I would not let Danny Stutzman with a pair of scissors in his hand or clippers anywhere near my head. No way. Not happening. Not happening at all. I'm all about having fun, but. You're messing with a man's livelihood there. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. It was not the typical uh, giving the microphone and roam around. I think he tried to. He was like debating putting a lightning bolt into Jay Nunez's hair, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, there you go. Too good, too good. He's a character. He's fun to cover. Um, and if he'll ever let his own hair down. Uh, we, we can really have some fun with him. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of his thing. Um, All Sooners runs a lot of lists. You might call us the All Sooners list page. Uh, we run a lot of uh, top tens and top remember wins and top twenty fives and top fives and all that kind of stuff. 
it's fun during the off season to do these lists. Uh, and one of our most popular lists, uh, I guess, topics for a list has uh, kicked off again this morning. It was the uh, spring review where, where we dive into each position and say, here's what happened at this position during the spring. For me, I wanted to start it off with running back. Our, uh, Oklahoma has a long, 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 rich heritage, tradition, history with running backs. And, uh, you know, people love their running backs at OU. People love talking running backs at OU. So I started off, Ryan, today, this morning, with uh, what happened at OU at the running back position in the spring. Uh, I don't know if you caught the story, but uh, obviously there's, uh, there's injuries, there's depth, there's talent. There's youth, there's experience. It's a rich mix that DeMarco Murray has got to work with at the running back position. Yeah, it is. And there was a point this spring where Dylan Gabriel was asked about that running back room and he said to take a second and smile. And he's like, this is the most talented group that that I've worked with. And so it, it makes it really interesting to parse through because the expectation is we saw a lot of promise from Javante Barnes and then across the whole season and then one great game of Gavin Sawchuk. So it's kind of easy to envision, especially because their running styles are different and mesh together with the yeah. thunder and lightning, whatever you want, typically out of a backfield. That makes it really fun. How does Marcus Major fit into it um, as a guy that what should have been the goal line back last year when he was healthy? That was kind of, I think, something that everyone was saying. And then... He wasn't healthy, so what can he do? And then you're looking at – you mentioned the young talent brought in Caleb Hicks, Dalen Smothers, two guys that Brent Venables raved about as a defensive guy. And so it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out because last year there wasn't any need for rotation. Eric Gray was reliable and could do everything. This year I think we're going to see something a little bit different as, as far as different bodies being used. And – they might have to use more bodies in the receiving game just to make up for if wide receivers don't emerge, too. Yeah, you're spot on with that point, Ryan, and here's why. Every, every, and this is probably just more the, the structure of the practice, but every practice that we got to go to, we got to do photos and video and observe, every practice, uh, we got to stand. They said, "Here, here's your spot that you're going to open practice. They're, they're stretching. They're doing all this stuff. You're taking your pictures. Then they go over here and they get the blood flowing with that, uh, you know, kind of gauntlet drill. Then the running backs individual, then everybody basically breaks up into different position groups and the running backs do a little ball security drill. All right. That's easy enough where they're poking. They've got a, like a boxing glove on the end of a broom and they're poking the ball. And, and so they're working on their ball security. And then the very next thing, quarterbacks are over there doing their thing. Receivers are doing something. But the very next thing they do, and again, this is probably more structure of the practice than it is we have to get better at this. But the very next thing they did was the running backs would go into receiver mode and the quarterbacks would start throwing the footballs to receivers, uh, to running backs who were, you know, uh, fake a handoff here, flare out and catch one over the shoulder. Um, you know, execute a fake here turn around, pump fake, and then uh, dump it off to the running back right here. They were always, you know, DeMarco Murray has got those guys always executing something in the passing game. And I really think that because, you know, if you look at the receiver position, they're going to need help. Eric Gray elevated the thing, the position to the point uh, in terms of versatility, uh, catching the football, being a part of the passing game. He elevated that thing to a point where DeMarco Murray says, you know what, the rest of you guys need to get better. Let's work on, you, you've been a, a somebody who carries the ball 20, 25 times a game in your career, in high school, whatnot. 
Now I want you to be a complete back, somebody who's the NFL going to come draft in a couple of years. You need to be able to catch the football for this team. Catching the football has been an absolute emphasis for this running back room. Yeah, well, and it also makes sense, too, with what kind of running back was DeMarco Murray. He was someone that was incredibly comfortable doing a bit of everything. So I think that that is part of just who DeMarco is because he's like, I play the position at the highest level. This is what I did. But, uh, again, the skill sets, and just imagine – a coach would be uh, just a total loon if he wasn't able to find a way to utilize Gavin Sachuk and what he showed us in the open field against a good defense in Florida State in the Cheez-It yeah. Bowl. Unless he just has paddles for hands and is dropping balls left, right, and center in practice, which I don't believe, um, it, it would be silly not to find a way to try and scheme that up and and figure that out, especially when if you've got so many wide receivers doing a bunch of stuff. Wheel routes, very popular in the Bear Raid. Jeff Levy's offense, that, that's something that uh, those guys can do very well. And, and again, just gets you – if Gavin Sachuk is your most dynamic player in the open field, get him the ball in as many different ways as possible. Yeah, and the thunder and lightning analogy was really good too because you've got uh, the lightning, obviously, with Sawchuck. Uh And Barnes, you know, hopefully his foot's okay and he's able to come back and run with power, run with authority because that's what he thrives at. He runs – through contact. He's very physical at the point of contact. So uh, I look forward to seeing that. The guy I think that remains the X factor, and I think you disagree with me here, is Marcus Major. He could bring, if he stays healthy and stays eligible and gets his act together and everything works right in his favor for a change, he's been, he's had a bad, you know, streak of, of luck or bad breaks or whatever you want to call it. If he's healthy, you listen to the quotes from Venables, you listen to the quotes from Lebby and even DeMarco Murray, they want him on the field. He's a, he's a potential difference maker. I'm not saying he's going to be a thousand-yard back. I said that last year. I said he's going to be OU's next thousand-yard back. He's going to take the job from Eric Gray. Remember that stance I took? Total, Totally botched that one. I do think he can contribute. I do think he can be a 300, 400, 500-yard guy, pop off a couple of games of 100 yards here or there, Make somebody on defense think twice about tackling him. Six foot, 224, he's ready. Uh, if he can just finish, you know, c- kind of cross that finish line and stay healthy, get to the season and be there, they say availability is the best ability. He needs to be available. Yeah. And when we've seen him healthy and ready to go, a couple of bowl games in the first couple of games last year. Like what we've seen from Marcus Major matches up with that exactly. Of this is a very talented guy, but the fact that we had to list through it, he's got to be a hundred percent healthy because if he's carrying an injury, he wasn't able to do it last year. So it's not just he has to stay healthy; he's got to be really close to a hundred percent. He's got to be on the field, all that stuff. That is just why I'm firmly in like I'll believe it when I see it mode, not because of the talent, but just because of everything else going on to be on the field and be contributing. We've just never seen him put it together. And so that's one of those, he's an upside swing in that room. If he is healthy and available all year and can contribute, that's an awesome, you feel like you have a three-headed monster. I just don't think anyone should have that baked into like that is going to be a certainty in 2023 because it's never been a certainty with him. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, He's got the Texas factor. You'll believe it when you see it. There's exactly. a lot of talent there. He's got to put it together and be on the field. 100%. Like so uh, if you want to check that out, 
the, our running backs spring review. Um, it is at allsooners.com. I think it's the top story right now, but uh, by the end of the day, it'll be pushed down. So check it out, allsooners.com. Uh, we'll go with the linebackers tomorrow, and we'll kind of do what we always do, which is alternating back and forth between the offense and the defense. Ryan, you're going to pick up some of those stories. I'm sure you love doing those those list seasons in the middle of, of a softball, an historic softball run, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, folks, it's also realignment season, sort of. Not really, but sort of. What the hell was that, Ryan, that we saw <laughs> last week? Officially official. Oklahoma's going to the SEC in 2024. I think, like, I think it was like everyone expected. What, yeah. what was that? I, I think it was as simple as the lawyers had to sign off on the contracts, and now that they've got rubber stamp, and it has to it has to go through the official means, right? It has to pass through the Board of Regents. It can't just be that yes. like, it's announced, whatever. Right. I think it was just as simple as that. And um I just I guess I just don't know why it wasn't folded into the next Board of Regents meeting that was on the, the calendar because it was so just it, it cut and dry. This needs to happen. Totally get it. Um, it was just a matter of dotting the I's, crossing the T's, all the things. That, that's what that was for, for me. Okay. The, the Big 12 announced it back in February. Um, there was a Regents meeting, and then there's going to be another one in June. It's like, okay, why 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 do we need to be there? What's going on? What happened at the meeting, and I think I talked about this a little bit last week, was the, they basically met, they went into executive sessions and said, okay, here's how we're going to recoup this money. Uh, we're, we're having to pay upwards of 50, them in Texas, having to pay upwards of $100 million, $50 million each. They're not having to pay anything, but they're going to withhold that revenue. Okay, so the revenue that was coming from the Big 12 is going to stay with the Big 12. It's not going to transfer to Oklahoma and Texas and then be paid back. So it's just... Okay, you guys are leaving. Good. We'll keep your money. We'll we'll keep your first and last month's rent. Basically, is what they're doing, right? Um, so not a not a big development, but uh, the fact that they uh, pitched it and promoted it and put it on the agenda as the lawyers are going to be here and we're going to talk to the lawyers about this. Kind of, kind of, kind of feels different. I don't know. It kind of feels a little. I'm going to say it feels a little smarmy. <laughs> the uh the wording of the executive session was very weird and i'm not intelligent enough to know what happens in executive sessions i just know that like they leave we wait they come back <laughs> they gavel and we're gone but i was the wording of the executive session was very odd but uh, again i haven't poured through as many board of regents agendas as anyone else probably so uh yeah that one just felt like we're gonna formalize this bad boy mm-hmm. and uh move forward Joe Stiglin and Joe Harris both talked to the media afterwards and they expressed, this is just the final step. This is just the formality. This is just the, the final signing off, if you will, of this of this whole procedure. So, okay, fine. Uh, we'll see you in July of 2024, right? Basically is what we're doing. Uh, it's going to be interesting, Ryan. Big 12 Media Day is uh, July, I think, 10th through 13th. And then uh, uh, I think the 17th is when SEC Media Day starts. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to cover that stuff. Yeah, we're, we're uh, a year away from... Doesn't the SEC Media Day move around? Yeah, it's in Nashville this year. Yeah, so we missed the Hoover, Alabama. That was really a bummer. I think that you would have killed that. Last uh, year was Atlanta. Yeah, they named it yeah. after me back when I covered Arkansas. They named that whole town after me, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and and so th- they got that out of the way. Uh, I'm obviously heartbroken that the Atlanta trip has been missed uh, for me because you guys, good luck finding me at 9 a.m. when things are rolling up in Atlanta. I'll just be in the world of Coke or something there, or the Aquarium. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So now to Nashville, I'm good on Nashville. I can miss the Nashville trip. Okay. Okay. I'll try to get to Nashville this year and Dallas. Is there any chance we have to go to the ACC meetings for anything? I Pac-12. hope both. Pac-12 uh, in Vegas. If it's in Vegas, I'm going. Yeah. Well, Pac-12 in Vegas, I, wrestling's staying in the big 12. So I don't think there needs to be any other bounce around at any other conferences. It's just SEC big 12. Good call. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do next. We're going to touch on some football recruiting um, plus because it's always recruiting season, right? Uh, Softball season is over. The regular season is over. I got to ask Ryan and he can pause it on this during the break. Can this Oklahoma team lose twice over the next month? Come on. Could they someday play a game at the football stadium? Come on. Plus we'll have a little baseball for you. That's next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hey, if you guys get a chance, hit pause real quick and drop us a rating. That really helps. If you like it, Make it five stars, please. That does. That helps a lot. The show, the visibility of the show, the sharing of the show. Uh, and then when the show's over, if you can, if you got a minute, please like and share us on social media. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We love to read your comments. So uh, just let us know what you think. All right. Segment three. Uh, it is, as I've said, recruiting season. Uh, I wrote a story yesterday, Ryan, about Trene Washington. Wow. What a prospect. 6'3", 6'4", 210, probably going to be 220 by the time, 215 maybe by the time the season starts. He's a sophomore. He's in the 2025 class. Holy cow, this kid is good. Uh, doesn't have a ton of offers, but uh, his first offer was from OU. Uh, I was talking with him about this at a recent 7-on-7 seven seven here in Broken Arrow, and um, he was in the car with a couple of his teammates, Tristan Haynes, and Xavier Robinson, a couple of his, his boys at uh, Carl Albert, they were on their way to Iowa State to visit for junior day. Phone rings. It's Brent Venables. <laughs> Once again, during visits to other schools, the like Jackson Arnold, uh, who else did this? Sperry. Uh, Sperry, Kevin Sperry, yeah. While during visits to other schools, the OU coaches call and say, hey, don't forget about us. We're right here. <laughs> And you know you love us. So, uh, Trene Washington, again, 6'3", 6'4", about 2'10", 2'15", excuse me. Um, A pass catcher. Uh, I've got some video up on the story. Uh, If you look at his uh, route running, holy cow. Big dude can move like that. Doesn't look fair to me. This was the, the, when I saw him, it was the first time he'd ever played seven on seven. 
And like in five minutes of being on the field, he caught two touchdown passes from Sperry, from Kevin Sperry. So I'm like, you've never done this before? He goes, no, not really. Just kind of in, in, at school, we do stuff like this. But just in terms of competing with these guys at a high level, first time he'd ever done it. He's, uh, he's one of those guys. Um, he picked up an offer from Missouri last week. And Sean Cooper, his, uh, his strength coach and his seven-on-seven coach down in Durant, told me that he's, his, his recruiting is really picking up steam. Well, and I think it just shows you it, we're ticking off a couple of really good years in-state uh, as far mm-hmm. as being able to go and not just have the, hey, we need to have the best talent in-state and maybe find a spot. For it. It like, no, 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 no. The best guys in-state, you're looking over this in the next two years, you can build a really strong defensive line class over the next two years, and you, you can get some impact pass catchers, things like that. Um, not just him, but you've got a couple of tight ends in Washington that that look like they could be dudes as well. And so uh, no time like the present to have a staff that is focused on the state of Oklahoma, right? It, it's frankly not something that Lincoln Riley staff cared about. And it, it really felt like I wasn't covering recruiting as closely um, through most of the Riley era, but it really felt like they would rather take a swing on a four-star guy from Texas than a guy that's listed as a four-star in-state. You know what I mean? And and it, it strained some of those relationships. And so I'm curious what spot Oklahoma would be in with a lot of these prospects if it were still that staff that had kind of been like, yeah, we'll do the Oklahoma thing if we have to versus what Brent Venables and, and this group have been, which is being in these schools. Like we talked about last offseason, just the fact that they are taking time to visit all these schools all across the state, classes like the 2025 class in state, that's where it's going to pay off. Yeah, uh, Venables and, and those guys, his staff have done an unbelievable job of of getting into those schools and making those making those coaches, those programs, those athletic departments feel like they're a priority. That's part of the selling point. Uh, that's part of the salesmanship of being a college football coach and recruiter is you go there and you make them feel like they're a priority. And you've seen a, a dozen, maybe not a dozen, maybe six or eight preferred walk-ons from the state of Oklahoma, guys who thought they could get a scholarship somewhere else or had Division One scholarship offers from somewhere else, like OU, love OU, want to play at OU. Oh, coach, you mean I can be a preferred walk-on? Uh, we can do some other stuff with my with the scholarship money and the academic scholarship and get me paid for, and I can be on part of the OU Sooner football team? That's happening. And so you're seeing that, I think, start to spread like tentacles with some of these high, high level prospects, like they really value the, uh, the, the, the preferred walk-ons, the guys who might not be uh, elite scholarship type guys, five-star type guys. And now you're seeing these four-star, three-star, four-star, five-star guys come out and say, Hey, Oh, you really values Oklahoma kids. And it won't be a every year type thing. Like Ryan said, this is one of the best years, 24 and 25 are some of the best years that, that OU or that uh, the state of Oklahoma has produced. So, Excuse me. We'll uh, we'll see how that all comes together eventually. Another big name, fairly nearby in the region at least, uh, Nigel Smith, four star defensive end, Melissa, Texas. He's right by that Bucky's, right when you're driving down on 75. Uh, that's that's what I know about Melissa. Basically, as he's <laughs> on the way to Dallas. Uh, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, Ryan, who say he's coming to OU. He's he's basically silent committed, or he's getting close, or he's he's gonna pull the trigger at some point. 
Brent Venables got some good news this week. Uh, on Monday, he, Nigel Smith released his top eight, and you had OU Texas, Penn State, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Rutgers. Okay. And then Tuesday, he announced his official visit dates, which the NCAA relaxed its rules on cramping down on five official visits. You only get five official visits. Don't try to take any more than five. Now the NCAA basically came out and said, whatever you want to do, however many, however many visits you want. So he's got six official visits listed. He's doing OU on June 16th. He's going to Rutgers next week. He maybe he wants to see New York City. I don't know. Uh, he's got Ohio State June 2nd. He's got Penn State on June 9th. He's got Texas A&M June 23rd. And then he's going to visit Texas on September 1st. He's going to take a little break from the visits, or at least the scheduled visits right now. He's going to visit Texas for a home game. So not really apples and oranges. Or I guess it kind of is. Duh, it's not really apples and apples. It's apples and oranges right there, Ryan, that uh, he's taking in Texas on a game day. Yeah, it, it'll just become the uh, – we know Oklahoma happy to welcome tons of guys on unofficials for game day as well. And if, if you're new to it, basically, there are some different restrictions. The – the biggest thing is Oklahoma can pay for your travel on an official visit. Oklahoma cannot pay for your travel on an unofficial visit. Same with all the schools. Um, but yeah, he's one piece of what could be. I, I know we talked about last year. Could this be the best defensive line class Oklahoma's ever signed? Well, lock all those takes, reload them because between David Stone, um, Nigel Smith, you've got a bunch of other guys bumping around there that were. Uh, all around it felt like spring game weekend. It could be building where Oklahoma puts on another huge defensive line class, which is what they're going to need headed to the SEC. And so this would be a big win. Keep the uh, keep the pipeline, obviously, to the DFW area. Now you've got not only Jay Valai, but Emmett Jones working that like madmen. Those two guys are very connected all throughout the state. Throw Todd Bates onto that. He's now got the NFL pedigree, all that stuff. You can see why a lot of people feel good about where the Sooners land are with not just with um, Nigel Smith, but David Stone, a bunch of these other guys. Yeah, let me tell you, if if you get David Stone, which all indicators are that David Stone is probably going to go to Oklahoma. If not, then he'll probably go to Michigan State. Williams Winery, another one, a big five star, one of the top. I don't know, depending on who you what which service you follow, three, four, five, six, ten players in the country. In the country, forget about position. He's a beast. Uh, Zadavian Sims from Durant, um, four-star defensive tackle. And he's out here at Broken Arrow playing seven-on-seven, seven, catching touchdown passes. Okay, he's, He looks like a defensive end, but he plays defensive tackle. But he, in the seven-on-sevens, he goes out and does wide receiver. What? Yeah. If you were able to get uh, – None now. None of those guys have committed, of course. So we're you know there's there's that right where you, you just never know what a 17, 18 year old kid's going to do um, when it comes to life decisions. You just never know. But again, all indicators are strong that all four of those guys are heavily favoring Oklahoma. I'm not saying they're going to get all four, not even going there. But if they get two, if OU gets two of those guys, that's a great class. That's a great defensive line class. If they get three of those guys. It's fairly unprecedented, and people in the SEC, and I'm talking about Georgia, I'm talking about Alabama, I'm talking about LSU, I'm talking about Florida, all of them are going to take notice of what Todd Bates is doing on the defensive line at Oklahoma. He's recruiting the country. He's getting guys out of the SEC footprint, bringing them to Norman. Um, 
What about that? What about the Todd Bates angle and the way that he's reaching out, the way that he's touching base, uh, getting personal, I guess, with a lot of these elite defensive linemen? Yeah, we didn't even talk about uh, Joseph Jonah Ajanye, mainly because I was scared of how to pronounce the last name. So we just said JJA and run away. But no, Todd Bates, like we talked about it last year, and this is why – I thought the conversation from some subsets of the fan base, I would not say this was like the overarching thing, but there were a couple questioning Todd Bates after last year in the defensive line. It's like, first off, he was working with a group that was tailored to out what Alex Grinch wants, which is undersized, not NFL caliber guys, which is what Todd Bates has been working with. But you pair his track record across his entire career, where last year was the only year he didn't have an all-conference guy. Um, in his entire career as a position coach, you pair that in with, hey, just go pilfer through Clemson draft picks the last couple of years and, and see, oh, defensive line. And, and anytime you talk to Todd Bates, like we talked to him, was like, I totally get how anyone would. He's laid back and cool, but makes you feel like you're the center of attention when he's talking to you and we're doing a little back and forth, stuff like that. It, it's easy to see why he is a monster, monster recruiter and um, like the, the stuff we'd heard about a guy like Derek Blanc, even through the spring, even if he doesn't really factor in a ton, just the technician, that's a guy that looks different. You just give him another year or two. It takes time because Oklahoma's talent along the defensive line was not there. It was not there under Alex Grinch. And it, cause the only pieces they really had were edge pieces and, and they were just trying to paper stuff over in the interior. He, he's going to be just fine. One more on recruiting. This one is more of a transfer portal uh, note. Um, Jordan Tyson, who we talked about extensively on the podcast last week, wide receiver from Colorado, played played at Colorado. He's from Texas, but uh, he played at Colorado last year. Uh, was a dynamic guy. Uh, final two games of the season, had over 100 yards uh, before he got hurt. Um, Jordan Tyson announced today, no, yesterday, announced yesterday that he is going to Arizona State. Um, I think there were a lot of insiders, a lot of people who are close to the program who thought he was coming to OU. Uh, Coming out of spring, OU coaches were not necessarily blown away by the productivity and the consistency of the wide receiver core. Need more guys, need more playmakers. Uh, Jordan Tyson was one of those targets. Well, he's going to Arizona State. Ryan, I think this is a deal where he's going to get a lot of snaps and a lot of reps, and a lot of catches at Arizona State. Yeah, Dillingham coming in, they just need bodies to rebuild that program. I, I actually think that he just wanted to lock down. He wanted to play Oklahoma State this year, regardless if it was in Bedlam or if it was hosting the Cowboys. That was all that he wanted to do. But no, this feels like, frankly, again, a guy that was on a really bad team that was the star of that really bad team, guess what? He's going to another rebuilding team that was really bad last year where he can be the star. Um, I had expressed my doubts last week that you're going to get that kind of production or anything close to it. Does OU still need bodies? Sure. But um, headed to Arizona State, I don't think this is one that we're going to be circling back in two years going, ah, do you remember when Tyson was on that visit to Norman and they thought they could lock him down and they lost this first-round caliber guy? I just don't think Tyson's that. I don't think it's that huge of a loss. Okay, I'm with you on that. Um, It is also softball season, obviously. I've got the uh, tan lines to prove it from this past weekend. Yeah, you've been out there at the uh, press row, not press box, but press row, 
at uh, Cowgirl Stadium. Uh, Ryan, um, Oklahoma State. I'm sorry, Oklahoma. Forty-nine and one. They won forty-nine of their fifty big uh, of their regular season games this year. Forty-nine out of fifty. They won ninety-eight percent of their games. <laughs> I've never heard of that before in any sport at any level. Oh my gosh. Um, they're undefeated in Big Twelve play, which they've won forty-one in a row, and eighteen of those were Big Twelve opponents, which made me say, "Oh my God, when's the last time somebody went undefeated in Big Twelve? Oh, it was, two, it was OU in two thousand nineteen. Don't worry, it's, it happened just three years ago, so no big deal." Uh, but you were at Bedlam. We were, I, Ryan. I want to say we were the only. You, I should say, you were the only. OU softball beat writer who was in Stillwater for all three games. Is that correct usage of yeah? Word? Yeah, we were the only site only covering Oklahoma that was there for all three games. Uh, like uh, the Oklahoman had representation. Scott Wright was having to cover for both sides of it, yeah. right? Cover both sides. Dean Rule, same drill uh, with the Tulsa World, having mm-hmm. to swing cover both sides of it. I guess which made my life easier because I was there for the Patty Press Conference and as everyone shuffled over Kenny Gajewski, I was like, I'm just going to go right because I'm good. I'm here for the Sooners. Right. Yeah, so uh, we brought you wall-to-wall coverage from Stillwater. Other than 14 left on base in the Friday night game, which they did not lose, and again, they go undefeated in Stillwater, um, Patty was pretty pleased with everything except the number of runners left on base, which I think at some point reached 22 for the series. 31 total. 31 left on base for the series? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, that that's something that – it was funny because that, that Friday game going into it, um, Patty Gasso had, had what, what are you looking for this weekend, on top of winning, obviously, just a really clean series. And so someone had asked her on Friday, you wanted a clean series. Was this the start you wanted? And Patty Gasso immediately was like – Pitching Jordy Ball once Jordy Ball and Kelly Maxwell had to figure out whatever the hell the home plate ump was doing with the yeah. strike zone. <laughs> once they had to figure that out in the first inning or two, they both kind of got locked in, and Jordy Ball was great. Defense was awesome, all that stuff. And I, so I was like, "Well, hold on, this is something you always pinpoint. You left fourteen runners on base." She's like, "Who left fourteen runners on base? We well, left fourteen runners on base." She's like, "Well, that's." <laughs> I take back. Every- she was joking. She then was like, "Well, optimistically means you're getting on base, I guess." Yeah. But uh, outside of that. That Friday game, it should Ryan's, have been a run rule. Ryan's yeah. basically setting fires all around her feet as she's <laughs> tamping them down. Well, well, you know, it was it was a great little moment in the interview. Like she's like doing what? It was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, she hadn't had a box score uh, that that had that listed on it. I think given to her yet. But Friday should have been a run rule. Uh, Oklahoma seen Kelly Maxwell a ton, um, which we can get into why Kelly Maxwell was reintroduced on Saturday, but Oklahoma's hit Kelly Maxwell. The only time Kelly Maxwell's beat Oklahoma was the big 12 championship game in the tournament last year where she just pitched three innings. And then Morgan day is who really shut down Oklahoma uh, to close out that game. So that's what the Sooners got. They got what they wanted. And John, I thought this was really fascinating because two years ago headed to Stillwater. It was every bit a raucous environment. I think Oklahoma was uncomfortable all three days and the Sooners won the series. It was a lot of Nicole May coming in and fighting the fires and they won the big 12 Oklahoma state, John, they set three record crowds. It was the number one, number two and number three crowd, the history of Cowgirl stadium. And outside of the fifth inning on Saturday, it was a 
dead environment. The bodies were there, but it was not a hostile environment. Yeah. Part of that is due to OSU having this little dip of form where this wasn't for the Big 12. But I think part of that is just a everyone's like, Oklahoma's here. Dear God, please just be kind to our team. Like, I, I think that that is kind of a, a little bit of what happened there because it wasn't until like there was one moment on Friday when the home run went over. That the atmosphere got up, and then Sydney Sanders responded with her home run the next inning, and then there was no atmosphere the rest of the game. And it wasn't until, you know, really the fifth inning on Saturday where uh, ACOT got out of a little bit of a jam, and uh, the the fans were for and up for it. Other than that, it was just a pretty quiet weekend, considering what the crowds were, which I think is a testament just what how dominant Oklahoma's been this year. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about two years ago. Cowgirls were hitting home runs and the water bottles flying everywhere and everybody was going crazy. That didn't happen this time. This series, watching Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this series, this past weekend, reminded me of a high-level game of Frogger. You ever play Frogger? Yeah. You, you're crossing the road and you've got these cars coming at you and you're just trying to avoid the splat. Uh, you may, you make it real good at it to where you're – but you know, the longer you play, the harder it gets, the faster the cars are coming – the inevitability of it is splat. And that was the Oklahoma softball team this weekend. Even down, what was it, two in the in the bottom of the summer? Yeah. And it's it's the inevitability of this team. Man, it's it's impressive to watch. Uh they perform everything they do at a level of excellence that's just mind blowing. And that's why they're so much fun to watch. It's like uh it's like watching you Satan bolt run. You know, we know he's going to set the record. We know he's going to win the gold, but by God, we've got to watch this thing. We've got to see him run that hundred yards, a hundred meters. Uh, and, uh, you know, in terms of OU softball, that's what it's like. They're appointment television because they're so excellent at what they do. And it's impressive. So the big, big question is this, Ryan, you saw a team on Saturday and Sunday, I think go down two starters, two starters, and they roll in Sunday's game like it's no big deal. Um, they've got so much talent. The backups, the pinch hitters, the the reserves come in, and they basically don't miss a beat. Miss a beat. Uh, you saw Brito hurt or uh, ill. I guess she was a little bit ill, feeling under the weather, whatever it was. And uh, and Kenzie Hansen gets her banged on the wrist, and I don't think she played again, did she? So you've got that staring as the postseason arrives. They've got their last twenty or so games in the state of Oklahoma, Ryan, can this team lose twice between now and then? Uh, twice to the same team? No, it's not no. going to happen. No, no, no one team is going to beat them twice. Now, calling your what, shot. what could happen, and this is the only way Oklahoma's not going to win a national championship for me, is what happened in 2021, where you had James Madison roll out in game one and yep. shock the Sooners. And then the rest of that time, James Madness was like, hey, Georgia, can you finish the job? Georgia, you can't do it. Okay, UCLA. Surely UCLA, with all the talent that they have, the rematch of 2019. Oh, Giselle Juarez is unconscious now, pitching better than she's ever had. And then it got back to James Madison, and what happened? They couldn't beat him twice. Florida State got that first game in the Champ Series. What happened? They couldn't beat him twice. So I think that that is the only, like, pothole you're looking for is if two teams can rise up and, and kind of tag team Oklahoma here's the difference in this team and that 2021 team here's the difference in this team and the 2022 team Jordy Ball right now is healthy she's just as good as she was last year but she's healthy mm -hmm. Nicole May is better Alex Storaco 
her and Hope Trotwine are both very good. I'd probably take Starocko yeah. over Hope Trotwine, the way she's pitching right now. And Oklahoma discovered a fourth pitcher this weekend by throwing Kirsten Deal, the true freshman lefty, in that last out of the sixth inning on Saturday. She gets it. The huge emotional rally. And, John, when Jordy Ball was called on to pinch hit, which just baller quote by Patty Gass of who uses a pitch to pinch hit, we do, I guess. But um, <laughs> when she was called upon to pinch hit, I was like, oh, so they got the run in, and now Jordy's going to come shut the door. And what did Patty Gasso say? We're the... No- she didn't say this, but basically what she said is we don't have other postseason stuff to worry about. What she was saying is we are locked down the number one seed. It doesn't really matter. We can lose this game. So let's find out what Kirsten Deal has. And she was nails, Patty Gasso said in that seventh inning. So now Oklahoma has a lefty they can throw at you that doesn't have all the tape, all the film, all that stuff. The pitching and defense is going to be what wins Oklahoma their third straight national championship. That That's what's going to be there. The, the offense is just the icing on top. Because they, they have no pressure on them because they just have this belief that, like, yeah, we're just going to win the game. So why worry about it? That's what you saw. And I just – I don't see anybody else firing up and, and finding a way to beat that team twice. The 2021 team made the case for the best softball team of all time, 56-4. and four. The 2022 team comes out and says, we're better. 2023 comes out and says, we're better. I just don't know how this is, continues to happen, right? It's It's shocking. Uh, and it's it's all it's all Patty Gasso. It, it it's all Patty Gasso, and and she's got this thing to a point where I, I've asked her this a few different times, like a few different ways, trying to to peel some more out of it. And basically, she she talked about it in the seventh inning, going into that seventh inning on Saturday. She doesn't have to say anything. The dugout says all the right things. The team polices themselves. And then they go out and produce on yeah. Sunday. They're making OSU's making great defensive plays in the first couple of innings. So I was like, are those conversations different when it's you're trying to lock in on a pitcher that you haven't seen before in ICOC versus like the defense is just playing well? She's like, no, the, the lineup just does it itself. Like they police themselves. She's like, I just stay positive and stay calm. That that's what I do in those situations so that there's no um, you know, people see I'm nervous, so they get nervous and and they just run that thing. So that's what Patty Gasso has done. That and it makes me wonder. We know she made the comment that like I will be in Love's, like I will be coaching that season in Love's Field. But yeah. she she's talked about these last few years about finding a way that like if Oklahoma loses, it doesn't go home and like eat at her for ten days or whatever. Because she's like, there's a lot of games in softball we can bounce back the next day and win. The program's running itself. Patty Gasso could coach for a long time if she wants to because I. She has the best team she's ever had, and I think that not that it's less effort or anything, but she's just instilled this culture where the team is helping do that themselves, and it's not like she's having to yell at everybody all the time. She she does her thing. She she's like, this is our standard, and the culture is so good that everyone just organically rises to that, and that's I think that's the most impressive thing that she's done is built that. Trying to implement that culture here at All Sooners. Um, we'll see if we can uh, see if we can reach those standards. <laughs> Uh, it is also baseball season here, in, uh, in but not for very much longer. I'm just going to say it. Uh, baseball has been uh, been a series of uh, minor letdowns throughout the season. You saw them lose the series to Baylor. You saw them lose the series to Tech, and everybody was saying, well, they're done. And then they come out, they sweep Texas. They take two of three from Kansas. They beat Dallas Baptist down about in Dallas for the first time in like 100 years. Uh, they beat Wichita State up in Wichita, I think. <sighs> 
Brian, they just can't stand success. They go to West Virginia, who's a good team and has a great crowd, great atmosphere, has a very good program, and they lose two out of three. The two that they lost by the same score, nine to three. Um, yikes. They're 26 and 22 now. Uh, I was going to call Josh to sit in on this uh, segment to give us a little baseball knowledge, but he's not allowed. Uh, the 26 and 22, they're 11 and 11 in conference play. Uh, this, this, this is just not their season. There's no chance of them catching fire. I think that, uh, I think that fire has been put out They're at Gonzaga this week, Ryan, they're playing out on the West coast, basically Spokane, Washington, the Groves bros would approve. Um, first pitch times eight o'clock, eight o'clock and five o'clock. Now they should beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga's 18 and 27 and they stink, but you got to go all the way to Gonzaga and you got to play three, basically night games here in Oklahoma, those are night games. So I don't know. I don't know where to go with baseball at this point. I just think that the thing that has plagued them all season long is they've played a really tough schedule. So they haven't got to rack up some of the wins where maybe if they had played a, a really easy schedule that they'd be able to paper over some of those cracks as far as just the wins go. But the pitching just is not consistent enough for you to you talk about when when they caught fire last year the the bullpen the starters they all figured it out they locked in paired that with the offense and then you were rolling all the way I, we've just seen no real evidence of the the bullpen finding a way to find that consistency they've done it across three games this year and it was the Texas series right yeah. that that's why they were able to to make that happen I just don't have the faith that they'll stay locked in. Now, could they go and win two of three off Gonzaga and win two of three off Oklahoma State? Could they? Yeah. But I've seen nothing that says they're going to be consistent enough to sweep the Zags and then get two of three off OSU and then be able to carry that into a strong performance in Arlington, which is what they'll need to get in. They just can't continue to do this. They're just a roller coaster this year, which – it, they replaced a ton off of last year's okay. team. I totally get that. But as far as making the postseason this year, even if they make it in, it, I just don't have faith that they're going to slide in as one of the last spots in a regional. And then that that's enough for them. To, they're not a team that I'm like, just get in by any means necessary because that roller coaster is not consistent enough to make a postseason run. It's just not. Yeah, we saw uh, after taking two out of three from Kansas following the sweep of Texas, it's like, okay, so this team um... – you saw a lot of national people who cover the sport, who you have a lot of respect for and their knowledge and their insight into the game. And you, frankly, you saw a lot of people around here say the same thing. This team, this to watch out. They could be, they could be making that noise. They could be turning that corner. They could be getting that momentum going into the postseason. And here they come. They did it last year. Well, they go to West Virginia and lose two out of three. Um, and that's not a surprise. And like I said, here we sit. They're 11 and 11 in conference play, 26 and 22 overall. Uh, series at Gonzaga this week. I think that's it, Ryan. I think we hit all the high points. Our first show without the man went pretty well. We did it. We did it. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. You mentioned uh, a lot of softball coverage coming. If you're if you're watching this over at John Hoover Media on YouTube, you know this. The YouTube numbers, the reaction to the softball stuff has been mind-blowing bananas all the stuff and so we're gonna lean into that i'll be doing a lot more video content just through this postseason run as, as far as giving you not just the same writing you're gonna get the same content that i do 
uh, all throughout softball season, but tossing a little bit of video stuff as well, kind of recapping a little bit more of what I saw going on, what Patty Gasso had to say, what the players had to say. So that'll be coming as well, just as we kick things up an extra notch here through this postseason run. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that uh, that kind of element uh, video-wise from from uh, all of the All-Sooner staff uh, moving forward, not just for softball season, but we're going to continue it through recruiting season, camp season in the summer, and on into football season, Big 12 Media Days in July, training camp in August, season starts in September. We're going to have all that stuff ramping up, more video than you know what to do with. So check that out coming up. Hey, listen, I want to thank you guys for listening. And let you know, of course, that we will be back next week on the All Sooners Podcast. You can catch that one and all of our shows. They're cataloged on uh, iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean. Just about anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find the All Sooners Podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners Podcast. That's fun. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, I'm John Hoover again. Thanks for listening to the All Sooners Podcast. We'll be back with you next week.